Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who can't seem to find his lost dog. <laughs> oh no, oh no. I am the Adam It is the only and, part of the uh, movie that doesn't involve human suffering. That's I all I had to work fair. with, okay? <laughs> oh man, there's so much human suffering in this movie. There just is. And there is in real life, too. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Before I get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon, which is on a boon, Pat. We've and got, has we've nothing to so do with many... human suffering. Zero percent. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess I guess Biden's economy is back on track because uh, <laughs> we've gotten three new... Uh, wow. This, three did new somebody get stimulus checks that I didn't hear about? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. What's oh, uh, that child tax but, yeah. credit thing they're talking about? That's that's ah, the deal. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. That could be it. That could be it. Uh, over at patreon.com slash lost in criterion, you can support us, help keep us going. For just $1 a month, uh, you get access to a bonus episode. You get to vote in our polls about what that bonus episode is going to be. Usually we'll put together a themed list, but option five is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. Uh, it's a fun little movie that they made us watch a couple of times, but uh, usually it's a sign of failure of the list. Yeah, yeah, if, it uh, means we did not make wins. a good list. <laughs> yeah, and admittedly, I've made some pretty terrible lists over the years. Uh, to try and combat that, though, uh, supporters can suggest lists, and if we end up going with your list or uh, the movie particularly that you wanted to watch wins a list uh, that you suggested, uh, we'll invite you on to the podcast if that works out it's not so mandatory you though, wanna... so you can suggest lists <laughs> yes and be yes, like i do not want to be on this show and we will concede yeah. to your uh to your to your will your will there right it is not mandatory and uh timing considering pat and i live on opposite sides of the world uh is usually pretty difficult mm. to add someone else if they are not already in one of our two time zones so uh so far no one has been in my time zone you're right. You're right. As we, of yet, we do have we do have a pretty uh, America's uh, guest uh, standing right now. Though I guess it would be even harder if someone from Europe wanted to be on the. Oh uh, well, yes and no. It really depends on what their work schedule is. I I play D and D with people who live in Europe, and if, as long fair. as they're cool with like three o'clock in the afternoon. It works yeah. out great. Oh yeah, we could work. We could work it out if you did it in the morning instead of me doing yeah. it in the morning. So it's the middle of the day instead of the middle of the night yeah. for them. <laughs> anyway, uh, we've had a lot of fun with uh, with supporters who have suggested list and and been on episodes. We did uh, we did a fantastic Godzilla oh, yeah, list yeah. with uh, with supporter Jason Westhaver. Uh, his suggestion after the Godzilla box set came out, um, he he put together a list of non Toho era Godzilla films. Uh, and we ended up watching GDK, and it was phenomenal. It was just a great episode. So happy to have him on, and uh, yeah, just a delight. Um, but we have watched a, a pretty wide variety of movies over there, always non-Criterion films, in case I didn't make that clear. Uh, but 
we've watched uh, Critters 2. We've watched The Americanization of Emily, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, Ready Player One. Uh, you know, just, just a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a ride over there, to say the least. Yeah. Our most recent bonus episode as of this recording is a uh, 1980s film starring Mel Gibson as a Tennessee farmer called The River. A very convincing Tennessee farmer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, among the worst films we've ever seen. It's just, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's good. it uh, is really competing hard with kicking and screaming. Like it's it was working yes, hard. Will Ferrell's kicking and screaming. That's oddly enough the same theme of the list, which yeah. makes me yeah. feel like maybe we need to retire that one. <laughs> no, we've got at least one one more iteration of the movies that share titles with Criterion releases list because I have enough films for at least one more right now. Uh, it'll. We'll hold off on it for a while. I don't want to do back to back the same list, yeah, but wait certainly. two years until but, uh, I until I forget how bad it is, <laughs> yes, and then yes. like ask us because I don't really have a that much of a skin in the game yeah. for this. And, yeah. Uh, to be fair, the the worst film on the last iteration of the list that we have left to do will be uh, the Oscar bait crash that solved racism. Oh yeah, yeah. Fifteen years ago, I remember when it solved um, racism. That was good. Glad yeah. you did that. So, so other than that, uh, other than that, they're actually all all movies I'd be very happy to watch um, on the final list. I don't know why I saved them all. For the <laughs> well, yeah, why you did like finally movies, made a good but, one. You say yeah, final, but, but they also keep releasing Criterion films. So at some point, they will fair, end up duplicating fair. names it's, again. Probably they've got to. There's a finite a finite amount of titles. There's only the so world, many words in the English language. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but depending anyway, on who, we have depending a lot of on which over there, book you read, the number's different. Yeah. But you know, right, right. So, a lot of fun over there, and they are all. That's all for the one dollar. You get access to the bonus episodes. You get to vote. You get access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. There's over fifty over there right now. All that and, sounds uh, great, and they're all. Yeah, they're all really fun. For uh, a little above that, uh, at five dollars a month, we do like to thank those people on air. They are just people who feel like they can afford to give us a little more money and we greatly appreciate them so thank you so much to chris otto to eric coronado and stephen goldmeyer our current five dollar supporters a little above that we have something that i think is pretty dang special at ten dollars and above pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently and i get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized note for you thanking you for your support so you get bespoke art bespoke mail and a little uh, a little personalized note from me as well and we like to thank those people on air as well. So thank you so much to our $10 and above supporters, uh, Adam Speakerman, Patrick Yako, Michael McGrath, Jason Westhaver, and our most recent $10 supporter, just fresh, signed up yesterday, uh, Nina Bosnak. Thank you, all of you. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. So, again, that is over at patreon.com slash Criterion. If you do want to get a little taste of what those postcards are like, you can head over to redbubble.com. And search for Lost in Criterion. That's just the easiest way to find it, honestly. Uh, but from there, you can see uh, most of our past postcards. Uh, one, because a couple on Redbubble have gotten takedown notices that Redbubble is not interested in challenging, no matter how clearly parody they are. And the other is that I put them up on a little bit of a delay so that our uh, our supporters get to experience them first. And I can make sure that they've received them through the ever-deteriorating mail system <laughs> um, and... Uh, Make sure that they have them before uh, before other people can see them. But not only can you see the old postcards there, you can buy them as postcards, as greeting cards, sometimes uh, as stickers, stickers yeah. and 
sometimes as buttons as well if the artwork works out for them uh there's some really great buttons uh i i yeah i mean there's i'm really happy yeah with i them. like the some of the anyway. things they do over there it's it's weird yeah. but like i like stickers i think stickers are cool stickers are cool stickers are just cool pat they are they anyway. make me feel really happy for some reason so again, you can uh, you can check out that artwork at redbubble.com and searching for Lost in Criterion there, or you can support us at patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Thank you so much to our supporters current and thank you so much to our <laughs> listeners as well. And future. Yes, well it was a weird way to phone I, that <laughs> sentence, I admit. I, if you're if you're listening to this in the year twenty thirty five, thank you for listening. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh Pat, this week we are starting uh we are starting a series because our next spine number is a 10-hour work. Uh, nine hours and 37 minutes, actually. Right. Um, but, uh, but The Human Condition, uh, which is, uh, was released as three films originally, despite being one Criterion spine number. So we'll be doing it in three sets. It is actually made up of six sub-films because each film... Each of the released films, it's itself two parts, uh, about an hour and a half long each. Yeah, I mean they're they are uh, essentially they are full length features. Each one of them, it's yes, pretty wild. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so so we will be watching about three hours of material for each episode. Uh, those three hour iterations of the films were released between 1959 and 1961. Uh, they are uh, directed by Masaki Kobayashi, uh, and they are adaptations of novels, a six-volume novel set, uh, released from 1956 to 1958 by Junpai Gomakawa. Uh, that novel set has never been translated into English, I learned this week, uh, when I was trying to <laughs> trying to just check it out, see, see if I could. I, I had no intention, of course, of reading the entire six-volume set in in the course of this week, but I was still going to see if I could find a copy of it, and I can't. It's never been translated. That's fascinating. Into I wonder I why. Or at least no current English translation exists. Maybe there was one in the past, but uh, but no one's translating it right now. I don't know why. I mean, it is pretty pretty Japanese, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, but, that doesn't stop other works but, from yeah, getting translated. Yeah, that has not stopped into, any into, other. Into yeah, English, so. absolutely not. Uh the novel is about uh, Gomakawa's experience. It's pretty autobiographical. It is not explicitly autobiographical. Uh, he still fictionalizes it. But it's mostly about his experience in uh, during World War II. Uh, the film is also a little autobiographical to Kobayashi. He felt, he felt very much uh, connected to the film as well. Uh, his experience as a soldier is is kind of reflected here in that he was not one who especially believed in the war but got drafted. Right. Uh, and he he did end up in a prisoner of war camp himself in Okinawa under the under the U.S. Um, whereas uh, Gamakawa, I believe, ended up uh, captured by the Soviets uh, at the end of the war uh, and spent a little time in a prisoner of war camp under Soviet rule which uh, was not great. I'm sure they were both bad. Yeah. Uh, all, all prison is bad, and, and POW camps, I'm sure, are particularly bad, even among prisons. Uh, but uh, 
Eastern Asia Soviet camps were pretty terrible. Right. Uh, so, uh, and yeah. Anyway, uh, this film stars uh, Tasuya Nakadai, uh, and we've seen a lot from him in the past. And I want to bring this up because we're just going to keep talking of- about this. We're just going <laughs> to, we're just going to. We've we've talked about it slightly on the past couple of episodes, so I just want to you know lay it to rest here. Uh, a couple months ago, someone named Peter commented on our episode about Kurosawa's Ron, uh, which was from October 2018, uh, so three years ago, almost exactly as we're recording. Um, and he took issue with the fact that during that episode, we res- we described Nakadai as a C-list mifune. Uh, and I have not gone back to listen to it. I don't know which one of us said it. I believe Donovan also guessed it on that episode. Uh, so I can I can blame him until I go to investigate. Which uh, we won't do. But, so let's just blame him and get it do, out of the way. Which we're not going to investigate. So uh, Donovan is, is a delight. Uh, if you haven't listened to any episodes with him, they're always fun. Um, so on the one hand, I I am sure that we were reacting in that moment to the fact that Ron is certainly the sort of Kurosawa film that Mifune should have starred in uh, and would right. have starred in if they hadn't had that falling out during Redbeard. Um, but at the same time, we, if we use the phrase C-list Mifune, we were certainly very dismissive of one of the finest actors in Japan. Uh, yeah. He's a, B, he's a B-list Mifune bottom at, 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 the, the, at, at the, the worst. worst yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> what I will say is that, like, you get it a little bit in, not to, like, keep digging this hole deeper. Um, yeah. He does have that same kind, like, at least when he's in these emotional roles, does have that same kind of acting style, that sort of, like, very hyper-emotional express. at least in these kinds of yeah. films where it's, like, really strong think- explosions of emotion that are very... I think they are, they have a similar acting style, certainly. Um, but I don't, and, and I think Mafune is one of the best actors in history, period. Um, so Nakadai as, as great as he is, and he is great. We've seen him. He's fantastic here. Uh, when we, when we said that we'd already seen him in, uh, as movies as diverse as, as Kajimushi, Kwaidan, Harikari. He is, uh, the lead in Harikari. He is the lead of the, uh, the snow uh, the the central story right. of Quaidon. He is the uh, police detective in High and Low, where he plays opposite Mifune mm-hmm. as the uh, as the shoe executive, um, as the as the sort of co leads in that story. Um, since Ron, we've seen him in a supporting role in uh, When a Woman Ascends the Stairs. He plays the boss mm-hmm. who declares his love for the main character in the final final section of that film. Uh, he is the star of the face of another, uh, which yeah, yeah is is a movie. Fantastic, yeah, it's a crazy movie. <laughs> yeah, it is a crazy movie. Um, I mean, so yeah. you know, we, no, he's actually we've seen yeah. him in so many good things, I and mean, we've seen him be good in so many good things. Calling him a C-list Mifune was definitely something in the moment that we probably meant as a joke, and uh, I do and regret saying now that we have deservedly yes, since we've been deservedly deservedly been called out. For saying that. Yes. Yeah, that is true. It <laughs> is are. definitely uh, yeah. we're worthy of that. Nakadai 
had never really starred in a movie yet. He'd made a couple of other movies with, uh, with Kobayashi. Um, and we would see, we've seen films he made after this with Kobayashi where he, he starred in them. Harakari and Kwaidan, we've already mentioned. Samurai Rebellion is another. It was part of that Samurai box set that we watched around the same time as Harakiri. Um, but uh, he, when he talks about this movie, he, he doesn't name names, but he talks about how everyone was interested in being the main character in this movie. and Big names, little names. And he did not think he had any chance at getting the role. Right. And then Kobayashi sort of hand chose him to do it. Uh, so, so maybe, maybe Mifune was in that list. Maybe it wasn't. I mean, it's quite possible. But I, sort of, I mean, that would make sense. I, I do, I do sort of agree. Mifune's got a certain intensity um, that I don't know. I don't know how it would have translated here, but but with like Stray Dog, he's is a pretty yeah. he's more reserved. I, I so yeah, it's I we definitely and, have and seen even him with in high reserve, and low. We've seen him in yeah. reserved roles, but I I don't know. I I when you think about Nagadai's sort of that face he makes in this movie when like yeah. he's like really yes. under like under the gun, <laughs> it's yeah. hard to imagine Mifune making that face. That's fair. That's you know what I mean? Like, he would make a different face, and, but I think it would be more again, angry, you know. whereas this is more, like, worried and, like... I certainly... Yeah. I certainly don't want to continue to pit them against no, each we're other going and just to. go the other way. This is our job uh, now. This is, both, this is like uh, some sort of weird actors. Japanese actors fight club thing going, yeah. going on here. <laughs> right, right. For the rest right. of this episode. <laughs> we're, cer- we're certainly in a great position to, to, to be the ones to decide this one. Um, we're no, podcasters. Both fantastic we're the most and, qualified. I guess that's that's fair. It is our job. Uh, no, but anyway, Nakadai is is phenomenal <laughs> in this movie, and yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, thanks, Peter, for for calling us out on that. Yeah. I did I did type a response two months ago. I don't know if you ever saw it because I don't know how how sort of notifications work on Squarespace, <laughs> even though we've been using that website for ten years now. Yeah, um, I mean, it's never but, uh, really fully made sense. So, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, this week we are just doing part one, as I said. Uh, and part one apparently does have a release subtitle. Uh, you wouldn't know they, it they from anything do, on the Criterion. They? they do. They do. Yeah. This one's called No Greater Love, um, which I have to assume is a reference to a biblical passage. No, gra- no greater love has any man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. Um, that is... That is a uh, a Bible verse uh, that is particularly talking about Jesus uh, and the crucifixion. Uh, but uh, uh, I always see it. I always see it applied to like police officers and soldiers now. And uh, so I bad. mean, if it makes you feel any better, like... I don't see it. Whenever I encounter when, it. Whenever circles like I, you're running in, you're yeah. clearly running into it more often than it, I do. It shows up uh, like the sort of like kitschy homeware stores where, where you've got uh, like see, that's live, the thing laugh, is I don't, love I don't out have kitschy homeware stores uh, with weird biblical passages yeah. in them. I I have run across one where it was uh, it was in a soldier in, you know, a modern soldier, uh, enduring freedom sort of soldier equipment. Uh, with uh, angel wings printed with the American flag coming off Whoa, of his back. That's that's a and, lot already. 
And no greater love has no man has any man than this than he lay down his life for his friends written in cursive script across the oh, bottom of a very too. wide, very wide image as if it should be hung above your uh, couch. Uh, God, <laughs> yeah. wow, man, I wow. It's uh, it's something. That's a lot. That's um, there's a lot going yeah. on there. There's <laughs> there's. I feel like, yeah. you know, there's been a lot of talk on the internet recently about red flags, specifically as it, as it applies <laughs> to dating. But I'm going to say just yeah. general people red flags. You see one of those bad boys, yeah. you just turn right around, go on home. Nothing, yes. go- nothing good will be done here. Uh, 100%. One, 100%. And then, and then we just... I, uh, I'm waiting for us to get one e- one message just like three years from now, like, hey... Hey, yeah, I have one of those so, on my couch. I'm a very pleasant person. Yeah. So as we as we actually start talking about the movie, I think it is fair to point out that uh, the novel, at least, uh, left wing critics within Japan called the novel sentimental humanism and dismissed it as such. I agree with them one hundred percent. Yes. Yes. I. Yes. I. This movie. Okay. So I was okay. Let's take this, let's just go right the fuck off the rails right now. Yeah. I was taking a shower, and I was thinking about this movie, and I've gotten, my mind has sort of started to flip on Japanese anti-war films. Uh-huh. I've seen some amazing ones. I have- I stand by Fire on the Plains to the day I die. Oh, absolutely. That movie absolutely. is probably yeah. the closest any movie has ever gotten to being an anti-war film and actually achieving the goal of being an anti-war film. There's no single Agreed. part in that movie that some jackass can latch onto and be like, that was cool and rad, dude. Like, that movie's just a nightmare yeah. from beginning to fucking end. There's right, no right, there's right. no hope in that. There's no relief. And 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 unlike at least our first section here, uh, I'm sure I'm sure that will change over the course of, of the three films, but unlike our first section here, uh, Fire on the Plane also actually shows combat. Right, and, and, and I'm sure we will see some to, combat later yeah. on. Uh, yeah. But my guess Consider, is with that... Considering this section ends with our main character first getting actually drafted. Uh, right. I'm sure we'll see actual combat. My out. my thought process is, though, is if, if Japanese leftists thought that, then I've, I wonder what the combat <laughs> scenes are going to be like. But... Um, uh, my my point is is that we've seen some really good ones that actually accomplish really meaningful work, but not all of them. And I've kind yeah. of started to mentally flip on them. I'm I've started to go to a place that I don't really love being in, but it's a hey I'm on that road now. Uh, of I'm starting to view Japanese anti-war films as this sort of weird sort of apologetics, where like yeah. where like. Every Japanese war film, it feels like now that I've seen most of them, want to tell me that there were a lot of people who didn't like doing the war. Okay, right. That's very true. I have I know I know very well from for, from research that like there were huge anti-war movements in Japan that were ruthless, ruthlessly and aggressively destroyed by sort of. The Japanese, uh, you know, army and the, and the sort of national sen- sentiment. Um, yeah. That being said, every movie is about how everybody who is in the movie industry didn't want to be doing this. Yeah. And it kind of gets it. You start to build up this idea. It's like, well, wait a minute. 
If you if nobody wanted to be there, then somebody had to be want to be there. Well, of course, the answer is everybody who was a grandfather or father to a diet member in Japan. But because uh, <laughs> half of them were <laughs> one in particular was a class A war criminal. Uh, yeah. But like um, my point being, like, of course, they're they're my. It just and, and and I think what you end up with is it's really we get especially where we are now, you get into this kind of strange thing where it's like, okay, did you all actually feel that way when it started, or do you feel that way now after it's over? Because those are they're both valid, but they're both different things. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the hindsight versus like at the moment are different things. Yeah. And and um, I feel like the movies that were made in the in the post war period seem to frame it as well. We were all anti war right at the very beginning. We all no one none of right, us wanted to be there. Right, none of us right, wanted right, to do right. this. And it's like, I mean, you know, but there were like parades and shit, and people showed up. Like people didn't want to do this. <laughs> well, first off, we get plenty of characters in this movie who do want to do this. I, I am aware, certainly. yeah, but they're none of them but the main yeah. character. <laughs> yeah. Kobayashi's own experience is that he was drafted, considered himself a leftist and uh, a, a socialist outright uh, and and a pacifist, but was drafted and just uh, refused, refused promotion, refused to do well enough at war uh, to uh, to get promoted. Right. But but also refused to do bad enough at war to get imprisoned. Right, and so, which is always you know, an important... There's that end. And, and we'll yeah. get into that in a minute, for sure, because the movie <laughs> yeah. actually talk directly addresses that thing, and at some point, like, it sort of just dismisses it out of hand. Um, yeah. But, you know, because a lot of people did go to prison, Adam. A lot of people went to prison. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. I say ruthlessly quashed, a lot of people went to prison, a lot of people just straight up got killed. Um, right. But, like... My 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 point is not necessarily to talk specifically about Kobayashi, okay, but about how I'm starting to feel about these anti-war films as we encounter more and more and more of them. It seems like this was it starts to develop this feeling like this was the prevailing sentiment in, in which we know it is. We know from again research that it was the prevailing sentiment post-war that this was all a big mistake. We really like this was. We were led astray by the net, by the army and all this stuff. All that, mind you, is hindsight. That was hindsight. But the prevailing wind in film and art at the time seems to have been this sort of like, well, like this sort of, oh, the whole war was a big mistake. We shouldn't have done this. This is we were led astray. Became the sort of, uh, uh, the sort of. Um, the, the sort of uh, zeitgeist of film at the time. And so you get in this thing, it was like, well, wh- how many of these are films made by people who felt legitimately like that at the time versus how many people felt like that way afterward? And how many people are just making it this because this is the kind of movie that you can make right now? You're not going to go out and make a pro-war film right now. Right. Like, you're not going to go now, make that your, like, awesome blockbuster, like, army shoot 'em up now. Well, you could yeah. because they did get made, but. So, so the two films that Nakadai had done with Kobayashi prior to this uh, maybe are, are, are interesting to, to this whole thing, too. 
Um, one was called, uh, oh goodness, it was called uh, Black, uh, give me a second, Black River. And Black River in 57, just before this, uh, is about young people who, uh, uh, working class people whose landlord tries to evict them by selling the building. Uh, never seen it. Don't know how exactly close that plays out to 1980s uh, uh, roller skating movies, uh, you know, right. um, fighting the landlord. Um, but certainly a leftist leaning in that politic as as a base reading. Um, the other is from 1956 called The Thick Walled Room. It's actually the first movie that Nakadai uh, was ever in, period. Um and again, never seen it, don't know. Uh, IMDb describes it. A group of rank-and-file Japanese soldiers are jailed for crimes against humanity, themselves victims of a nation refusing to bear its burdens as a whole. It is my understanding that that film is explicitly about how the people who were punished for committing war crimes in post-war Japan uh, during the war, punished post-war, obviously, uh, but those people who were punished were all low-level people yeah. who weren't making the decisions while as you've already mentioned the the dads and uncles of the diet members who actually made these decisions and forced people to do them uh basically got away scot well and yeah i mean and that and well and that yeah i mean that's interesting it's a it's definitely an interesting point to talk about and i've you know that would kind of fit into that same wheelhouse of movie uh as yeah. something like this to a certain extent um, uh, you know, it, it it's just yeah. Like I said, it's not that I'm accusing Kobayashi himself of anything in particular. It's just that like it does the going into what was we specifically talked about what was said about this movie. This movie has a lot of vibes of like, well, as you mentioned, the 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 inherent failure of liberalism. As a, as a solution yeah. to to world's <laughs> right, ills, right. but but also like particularly individualistic interpretation, right, neoliberalness. <laughs> yeah, but yes, but like uh, yeah, it 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 you that that fits hand like hand in hand with kind of what we're talking about to a certain extent, where it's like that was the response essentially the sort of cultural response within Japan to the post-war period was right. this kind of like, there's a sort of national grief, but then there's also the like this, it's still being individualized to like people like, well, why didn't I, you know, <laughs> resist committing war crimes? It's, I don't know. It's very. Yeah. And, yeah. and our main character gets called out for that particularly by, by, you know, but the, the, Chinese POWs in general and, and Wang Heng Li particularly, you know, about, you know, what's that, the quote I, I tweeted, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, your, yeah, it's a great. Your conflict, your, your, all of your, <laughs> your life has been a series of errors stemming from the conflict between your work and yourself. Uh, it's just such a fantastic line. Um, because you know all all of our lives are, are right. Yeah, whether, whether or not you're committing really. war crimes or not, you're you yeah. are that you are doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't. You know, before we get too far, I don't want to. 
people facing ostracization and even death for refusing uh, to be drafted is not just a thing that was happening in Japan in World War II. No, it's no. Happening, I, <laughs> happening in Western right, countries right, certainly no, as I, well. And just specifically I come, because this, that's the context of what yeah, we're, doing, we're right. talking about here. Is I come, that, like, there were people, a lot of them, who did yeah. that. Um, I come from a religious tradition that is has been traditionally uh, anti-war uh, and not just not just anti-war in the idea that they will not fight to kill, but they will not provide any meaningful support to those who are killing. So a tradition that that will not just dig ditches or do other conscientious objector work or be a be a, a you know a priest in the army or whatever, uh, but will absolutely refuse to help. That is how they treated World War One, and got so much shit for it, and so many people died. That by World War II, a lot of those religious sects changed their minds. Right. Uh, but but in World War One, particularly, there was a group of Mennonite brethren who ended up in Leavenworth and ended up uh, starving to death. Well, maybe starved to death, maybe just died of TB uh, because of conditions in Leavenworth because they just weren't taken care of because they were right anti-war. Right. Well, and that and <laughs> that is the fate of. That is yeah. generally how it went in Japan for right. all objectors. Was that like the the one very very on the nose part of this movie is the way the the um, the military police officer behaves with regards yeah. to everything. And um, yeah, I mean that treatment is was par for the course pretty much for people who did not want to participate in the war. Um, you know it. Yeah, it's just it, like in the end, you, this movie is is about those failures, but also of of neoliberalism, but also seems to to a certain extent continue to embrace them throughout the like the well, movie. I feel a little bit. He, our main character, is someone who can, in this film at least. Uh, and we'll see we'll see how it plays out in in the other two parts. Um, but but within this film, he is someone who recognizes his own weakness in in fully embracing sort of leftism, uh, and tries to tries to walk a, a sort of third way between between what he maybe views as extremisms, uh, or he's someone who is sympathetic to more leftist views, even as he is trying to be pragmatic in how he executes them, I guess. Right. Uh, so we get, he can be, he can be pushed, uh, but he's always, he always takes so long to be pushed that atrocities have already happened. And I think particularly of the execution scene right. where eventually where he responds Three in, I, in fact, I, I halfway through. Yeah. Halfway through, uh, beheadings. He witnesses two beheadings. He witnesses. Oh right, uh, right, cow. right, right. Yeah. He re- he witnesses cow defiantly Murder, yeah. stand up, and then cut down, um, and then, but at the same time, <laughs> it is only in Kaji standing up and demanding that they end that. Uh, the rest of the Chinese POWs 
stand up and demand that and, they do. And see, I that's where I kind of don't that's where the movie takes a turn. Like I get what the movie wants, but like I feel like the the movie to a certain extent wants something that's somewhat disingenuous, which mm-hmm. is like it's kind of that like we see it in modern movies a lot where it's like if if Kaji is our sort of in a in a modern Hollywood film would be our fairly above average looking white guy character. It takes yeah. that character doing something to motivate all the people whose lives are actually in danger to like yeah he's to act in in an American movie he would very much be a west a a uh, a white savior character in this and and in, this and in a mo- in a Japanese movie about World War Two yeah. that's that is the role he is. Like it or not, that's basically the Racially, role he's playing he is, in there. He is playing the same yeah, role. Yeah, and yes. so he's in this movie, and like, oh well, he's defying this nightmare. Well, we should stand up for ourselves. It's like, I mean, P- POW riots were a common, regular occurrence in all POW camps for a reason, yeah. uh, without any particular, you know, savior figures from the from the imprisoning. Uh, army or whatever coming along uh people don't like to be in cages as it turns out uh as a general rule um so all all i'm saying is that even there the movie wants us to buy into sort of a because that's the movie's so it's so important to the function of the movie that he is the main character and that we we go along on his journey that it sometimes creates scenarios that are somewhat disingenuous feeling a little bit i agree mostly i think that the movie is very interested in telling us that our main character is wrong repeatedly yeah um and that you know obviously he does not live up to ideals uh that he has uh because he's working within the system and that's you know what what the guy says to him your life is a series of errors stemming from the conflict between what you're right. doing and what you believe uh you know and whether or not you're forced to do it yes that if you're forced to do it there is a mitigating factor there uh and he has a wife uh who you know we get a very emotional scene of the emotion the the relationship impact of him attempting to do the right thing uh you know because because what keeps a lot of people in line is the fact that you will hurt people you love if you truly right, stand absolutely. up for what you yeah. believe uh you know so there is there are hints at a deeper thing that line from from the the leader of the Chinese POWs, I think I think it's Kaji himself who says force has meaning only when overcoming tyranny. Uh, is is definitely a a Leninist right uh, uh, thing, um, and you know other better leftist movements too, but but uh, particularly in this time frame, it's pretty Soviet. Uh, you know, and the movie has our are bad guys as just following orders and his boss says 
this is wartime, peacetime reasoning doesn't apply here, and it's very, very much, well, we're, you know, we're only acting this way because of the situation we're found which in. Is, which is so accurate. So we're not, which we're not is, inherently evil, right. which is accurate. Like It right. is the way that a lot of people framed a lot of thought patterns, well, to yeah. this day still, but, but like at that time. And it, it did carry a lot of people through a lot of bad situations where yeah. they were like, well, we only are we're this way because it's it's war um, yeah but then but then in the same at the same time when the guy tells him you know your life is a series of errors because of the conflict between your work and your yourself two lines later he pulls that punch into sentimental humanism by saying you'll either be revealed as a murderer wearing a mask of humanism or as one worthy of the beautiful name man right uh <laughs> And that is sentimental humanism at its It is. It is. Period. I mean, it, so. it, 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 there are there are elements of this movie that that where there are phrasings that would be in place in a in a low tier Star Trek uh, episode. <laughs> yes. Like yes, there's yes. there's this there, there is really a are. lot of like. It, yeah, I mean, and like they talk about well, you'll always find some like there's that part where they're like, well, you know, if you if you. I don't know remember how exactly they describe it because I can't remember the exact words, but like basically they're talking about like they talk about oh well if you like raise your voice you'll find other voices that will join you and it, it's and then it's not the other it's very like I don't know it's very like, yeah yeah it, it's not I don't know it it's what obviously we haven't watched the other two parts no what I hope from this movie is that uh, Kaji's inability to embrace his idealism, his the fact that it is idealism instead of actual praxis right. for him, his inability to, to commit, I hope, is what this movie is telling us is the worst thing about him. And in this film, at least, it is. Right. right. So... So we'll see how that plays out. Knowing what little I know about the future of these films, I I anticipate that that might happen, uh, and I'm interested to, to see what. Yeah, they I mean, I, I am too. I but, mean, I'm I I'm going to keep my hopes high. I'm not yeah. abandoning all hope. I mean, I but, think, but the problem I have is also that like that is tied with a film that mostly is engaging with the world in a sort of like sort of as as existential dread but it's not really in the same way like it's because it has a very specific face like you know what i mean it's it's not right. exactly like it's not totally nebulous it's rendered as individual actors um right and and but like so it's more about generating dread in the audience than it is about the dread of the, the character uh and like it is you know there is a, I, again, bouncing back to the execution scene in particular, um, and it is a problem that Cal stands up and stands in defiance and yells at Kaji, this is your true form. You know, that, you know, Kaji is a man who cries peace, peace when there is no peace, a man who tries fruitlessly to work within the system uh, for change. Right despite the fact that there's no changing an oppressive system from the inside. Um, 
And then, you know, Cao dies shouting, the Chinese nation will live forever. And the, the cinematography in that scene, particularly when he when he first reacts and starts fighting and we get that, that Dutch angle. Mm-hmm. And then as he stands up, the camera writes itself. Right, which is, is one of the is neatest just, things that happens in the entire phenomenal. movie. Phenomenal. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you know, but, but even Cao does not ferment the rest of the POWs reacting. But right. it is the unity of the rest of the POWs reacting. Uh, unfortunately, uh, not until they're standing with Kaji instead of standing with Cow. But but it is that unity that actually makes the change, right? right. So there is that aspect of it. Uh, the movie does show us what needs to be done, even as our main character is incapable of doing it. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And we'll see so how I don't, it goes going forward. Right. I. I. I feel like that scene almost. I don't know how to describe this. This is gonna. I don't want to be too negative on the movie that I. That there was a lot of really good parts about. Uh, but that scene almost feels. How do I put this? Like, it's the only way to make that thing happen. It doesn't necessarily feel like that. The movie is trying to make that point. As much as the movie has to do that for the plot to continue onward, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know, because the well, movie's not otherwise about, like, organization and unity, like, in purpose. Okay, certainly, certainly, even within the mentality we see from the the military police, there there is a—it would feel natural— if, in response to the POW standing up in unison and chanting murderer and stepping toward them, the military police just opened fire and killed Which them Which is all. a problem, because that is absolutely what would have happened. There's right. n- The movie uh, doesn't actually justify the response. That it doesn't happen there? It doesn't That's happen fair. there. It doesn't explain itself when, like, even if we're not talking about an intensely racist and xeno and like a violent nationalist movement like yeah even like in any environment that's pretty much the response of the military of the military police with like prisoner pow's well, are like i mean that that being said all eh, we don't that the phrasing of that was weird but my point because like yeah, all military sort of, being that thing that i just described anyway but that sort of segues me into an interesting thought in that uh of what the movie could be saying if we read a little deeper. Uh, there's no ex- successful... Well, okay, the 18 people do disappear earlier. Well, yeah, but, but the, after, the 18 people are being sold back to the army as right, escapees. Right, right, they don't right, disappear. Right. There's a yeah. reason no one's they heard don't back disappear, from they're them. They're kidnapped, right. They are, they right. are, no, they are, right. es- they're right, quote-unquote escaping <laughs> into recapture and being sold. They're being released, they're re- being released in a scheme. That's fair. Uh, but, uh, but to that end, it is interesting that while Kaji is in prison, uh, 30 people, including the leader escape, and it's not implied to be that scheme. No, it's not that scheme as far as we can tell, because like that scheme is essentially broken at that point because. Right. So, right, right. Because the people involved have died. Yeah. They're all dead. Uh, mostly. Yeah. Uh, but, uh. So it's interesting in that regard that that is not until this well-meaning liberal is 
removed from the system that that actual well it is a very important point right because actual revolt can happen in reality right? what he is acting as is a sort of pacifying agent on this group of people that is preventing right. the unity and action that they should be right. taking which is he freeing is, themselves he is the pa- he is the pacifism of revolt. he is 100 percent the democratic party he yeah. is he is co- using oh, a specific a... kind of language to pacify what should be a much more violent and aggressive movement. Right. And he is even using revolutionary rhetoric. Right. He uses the as... rhetoric that he is not willing to actually employ in practice. Yes. Yes. To pacify yeah. a group of people who should be violently resisting their their situation. Yeah, I mean, and by he who, is the Democratic Party. He is he is neoliberalism. He is the actual who, personification. Who have, of who have every humanistic right to violently absolutely overthrow their oppression. And and and, uh, and he magnifies in many ways. He magnifies the the stakes of their situation by creating by doing that same thing where he, I'm your friend, but also I will punish you if you break the rules that you should absolutely be right. breaking because i because i have to right well because and it, it, because, yeah. because you don't understand the system uh you need to work within the system in order to change the system is literally what he's doing yeah. and and even with him literally saying force force has meaning only when overcoming tyranny but refusing to actually use force to overcome the tyranny that he is a part of right now. right i mean he is actively implementing it and then like that's the thing is like and we 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 actually basically learn all we need to know about Kaji when he takes the assignment in the first place. We really yeah. we, the rest of the movie is just an extension and further explanation of who Kaji is like in 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 every way, right? Because he takes that position, he knows exactly what's going on there. He yeah. also if he has any brain cells in his head to rub together knows that he will not be changing the way the entire Japanese military industrial complex is operating by, by going to this place. And, and he is doing it specifically to help himself avoid being drafted, being drafted. So his aims are not primarily about helping those people. They're about stopping himself from being drafted. So his aims are fundamentally in conflict with even before we get into what his work versus himself he himself is in conflict with himself in the sense that he isn't doing this because he altruistically believes he can improve their work conditions he's doing it because he wants to avoid the draft right if it you know and because of that he will do anything to avoid the draft which includes going along with the crazy bullshit that's happening like all the bad things that are happening because those right. that is what he has to do to avoid the draft, right? And so or, I mean, it's always going to be a problem, or a fate worse than the draft, right? Right. I mean, yes. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, but he, he, they even acknowledge, like, oh, well, we're too much cowards to go to jail, right? <laughs> right. Which is which is like the movie feels a need essentially in the very beginning to head us off at the pass and being like, well, just yeah don't just like lots of people did that thing that you that you're and there's like well we have to explain why and it's like well we're too much cowards to do that well then you're also too much cowards to fix 
to even remotely get close to fixing the problem where you're going because you're not going to walk into the like like just straight up murder one of the military police guys to stop an execution or something like that. You're not willing to do that, so right. Your cowardice for right. prison is the same cowardice that will prevent you from actually ever implementing any yeah. change. Yeah. His 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 moral compromise that sets him on this path is accepting that job. Right. Not, absolutely. Not anything he does in that job. Right, right. He's yeah, exactly. He the accepted job. the job and he knows exactly what it entails and after that, it's all just like, yeah, him doing the thing that he already accepted he was going to do. So, I mean, and, you know, the movie does seem to want to talk about that, but, like, it also seems to want to constantly, like, apologize for him a little bit, too. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it does, right? Because it even has that thing about, like, oh, well, we're too much cowards to go to prison. That's, like, that's essentially apologetics for Kaji like right out of the bat like right out the gate like oh well he's not going to do that yeah well that's he's not going to do that and I assume it's going to be like that for the rest of the movie I don't know but I kind of assumed it like he's not one going to want to shoot people but he's going to have to shoot people and he's not going to want to like make dig mass graves but he's going to have to dig mass graves like I don't actually know what happens but like you know Probably not yeah. those that thing. But. He he knows he has been he's still actively choosing a position of violence, violence he believes he can mitigate, but not what realistically knows he cannot. Well, he it. believes he can mitigate, but only within within the framework of not doing enough to like get him sent to a, his own right prison. Right, right. Or he is not. He is certainly not someone who has decided to actively engage in sabotage. Right. For like, I mean, uh, I think he is in position yeah. to be able to do, like, right. wholeheartedly. Right. But right. he has right. decided that he is not willing to sacrifice himself in any context, right? He's not willing to go to war, but yeah. he's also not willing to go to prison. He's only willing to try to exist in this limbo state, Um which, like, I I mean, I'm sure there were people who this accurately reflects their experience during the war. Like, I'm sure quite a few people. Oh, yeah. Who, Absolutely. like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not this strong is... enough in my belief to, like, go to prison for this and probably die there. But I also do not want to engage with this war. I'm sure. And I also, I also don't pretend that under the same circumstances you or I may not react. No, no. I mean, ways, and we, and we cannot know. Right. We have no idea what <laughs> right. we, what we right. would do. Um, yeah. But the reality of the matter is, is that like, we would also have morally failed when we do that. Like <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is we will have failed ourselves in that situation also. Like, and the movie, I don't know how well it acknowledges that Kaji is a flat out failure. When he does decide to try to put a stop to the executions, I get the impression that the movie wants us to take that as sort of like, well, I mean, he took a while to get there, but he got there in the end. And he Which is, is not good he enough. He does face the punishment. He yeah. does face the punishment for it, too, right? You know, he is beaten, imprisoned. Yes. Uh, for for weeks, if not months, because the the open wound on his face has healed to the point of scarring, at least, by the time we see him again outside of prison, right? So, you know, he's been there a while. 
Um, it maybe is interesting to to this conversation. Uh, the Philip Kemp essay that accompanies the DVD release of this from Criterion uh, mentions that uh, our director here uh, had worked under uh, Kasuki uh, Kinoshita, uh, the director mm-hmm. of 24 Eyes. Um, and 24 Eyes is also a very sentimentally humanistic anti-war film. Right, uh, it is. It's one I like very much. But it is, it's one I like very much, and certainly it, but not. It, but partially because it, it addresses not, a person who is, is not, in this position of zero power, like legitimately right, right. zero power, which is a very different thing <laughs> than being Kaji in this movie. Right, right, right. By by putting Kaji into a position of authority, uh, it is it is a very different situation. Um, and obviously, you know, Twenty Four Eyes is completely interested in the home front and is is looking at you know. Uh, decades as opposed to months right. of active war, right? Um, you know, and you know they're very different films, uh, but I think they come from very different, uh, very similar positions. Yeah. Um, and and Kemp's essay sort of tries to tries to to distance, say this is different to what Kinoshita is doing, and it is in that Kinoshita would not make a movie that has this level of violence. Yes, but. Uh, I think ideologically they are actually doing very similar right. things. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and it's interesting because the teacher in 24 eyes also like still keeps doing the thing. Right. When, That's true. When, when all the, when all the anti, uh, anti-communist forces show up around her, she's just like, yeah okay <laughs> and goes back to doing what she was already doing right you know she's she's still instilling those values in her elementary school students even as uh she is facing a threat of punishment right. for it right um whereas again you know it is different situations is that, and, and, but she's certainly but she is certainly facing a threat of imprisonment or death oh absolutely and and, too, and in right? some ways a higher one in the sense that like her position, like just at a at a starting position, her position in society is super, super right. significantly lower than Kaji's. Right on the grand, sort of on the grand scheme of things, like yeah, they society will cast her aside without a second thought, like even right. even a second thought, like not even a little bit, no hesitation. Yeah. Whereas they do clearly hesitate with Kaji, right? They give Kaji a lot of chances, essentially, to get in line. Uh, through yeah. throughout what we see in this movie, yeah. Oh, certainly. In fact, in fact, I, honestly, if I'm, not... if I'm being really brutally honest, Kaji is a very unrealistic character to me because Kaji gets so far down the line while being so verbally outspoken with his beliefs, which I don't honestly believe would happen. I don't believe it's possible at that time. I do not fundamentally believe that you could walk around trying to talk about the fundamental human nature of the POW, like the the laborers and the POWs and like get that and have your boss at your job, which is a nationalized uh, like steel production company under direct observation by the, the Japanese government and like get sent off to go and like write a report paper. And like maybe he wrote the report in such a way that it like says like, doesn't it really avoid certain keywords or something but yeah it's really it is kind of hard to believe like thinking it i don't in, in know his that it's heart, hard to believe 
I don't know. It's hard to believe because I look around and within myself, and you know, I see a lot of a lot of people today posting uh, guillotine memes and talking about unionizing their workplace and not actually working to unionize their workplace, right. or you know. Yeah, I think, no, I, I know what you're saying, but that I... ideology and your paycheck and your life are are constant. Right. I, I I agree with what you're saying, but I think that the rules do change when you're talking about like this is the kind of shit that gets you sent off to work right. camps. Okay? This is the kind of shit where like you are yeah. now essentially a prisoner of war. You you think that even the mild things he's doing I do should so. have gotten I him think more he, punished. I think he would have gotten the ire. I do honestly believe he would have uh, attracted yeah. the ire There's, of the military police long, long before he got to where he was. There is no... Even in the beginning, do we get any like background on why he should be offered this job? Uh, the only explanation is position? that, like, oh, you wrote this report, and you and you and this report about, like, yeah. Being more human, like humane to the yeah. prisoners, should help their production, and then they decide yeah. to send him off to go do it. The whole thing just right. honestly seems unrealistic. I, if I'm being really yeah. and, honest, and, and I think that's part of the sentimental him, humanism of it. I think yeah. that's part set of what the left is talking about. Doing it too, yeah. but still, yes, right? But like, but the point is, they it. like I think to a certain extent, part of what probably Japanese leftists at the time we're probably partially engaging with is that people let him get so far down this road yeah that he got that, like that that is unrealistic i mean think about what even the united states was like during world war 2 and what yeah. talking about the human the humanity of the germans would have gotten you or the humanity of the japanese would have gotten you in terms of your future employment prospects yeah. Like outspoken, um, like like doing writing papers about it and like yeah. and like and yeah. publishing and like talking about it and like talking to your boss about it and all your coworkers about it. Like that shit right. would it's get not, you in. It's jail. not like he was Yeah, it's not like he was even doing this within a realm of academic study. No. He's, he is like actively doing these reports as an employee of, of a of company, the Iron company that is controlled yeah. by the Japanese government. Yeah. Like it's yeah, that's fair. it's it's very weird to me. Like yeah. So, I, I, yeah. Sorry, but like, I, I, it, I is, it, it nagged at me the entire movie, and I can't, we can't, we can't go the whole episode without me addressing the fact that, like, I think right. that part of what makes a movie feel weird to me is the fact that, like, he shouldn't be here at all. He, there's no way he would end up in that position. His, right. his friend, uh, what is it? Oshizaki, what is it? What is his name? Oshima, I think. I forget what the name of the, the sort of second, the, sort of, the, the pit yeah, boss, the, the one, yeah, the one, the one guy who sort of supports his is ideas. He's a kind much more sometimes. realistic character. He's a person <laughs> right, who, right. in his heart, knows that what he's doing is wrong, but has never talked about it with anybody because, like, right. I know what that's going to fucking get me. Right, and the answer right, is right, not right. doing this job anymore, and probably somewhere much, much worse. Um, yeah. And and in fact, he ends this movie being sent to somewhere much, much, much worse. worse. Yeah, right? even further into the boonies than than he is already in. Yeah. Um. So there's I, I went back and I read a little bit of the uh, the Joan Mellon essay that accompanied the Harakiri re- release. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there's an interesting quote from Kobayashi that uh, that he told her while while she was interviewing him. Uh, says in any era I am critical of authoritarian power. 
in the human condition, it took the form of militaristic power. In Harakiri, it was feudalism. They posed the same moral conflict in terms of the struggle of the individual against society. Um, that's an interesting framing to this from someone who has called himself a socialist in the past. Right. But also someone who talks about, uh, you know, I watched one of the bonus features with this. And the cinematographer for this film, um, and this is the first time they were working together, but uh, Yoshio uh, Mayayama, or Mayajima, rather, um, who is uh, who's also the cinematographer on on a few films we've seen. Uh, uh, goodness. Um, the rest of the human condition, of course, but also on Harakari, Kwaidan, and Empire of Passion, right. interestingly okay. enough. Um, but... Uh, but he's a devout communist, according to Kabayashi. And Kabayashi thought that there might be some conflict in how the script was going to portray the Soviets when they eventually show up that that Mayajami, Mayajima might have uh, reacted to. Um, so, you know, I get, I get one little thing uh, from Wikipedia where Kabayashi is said to be a socialist, and then I get a lot of things where... He seems more liberal than socialist. Right. Well, I mean, you get into that. Well, we, as we know from our own personal experiences, like those linguistic boundaries aren't as hard as people want to imagine them to be in terms of like what, like people use those terms for themselves who are not that thing, right? Like all the time, right? Like, um, or or for each other, right? Like some all it takes is one writer being like, Well these this reeks of socialism and like suddenly Kobayashi's a socialist, right? Instead of like <laughs> right, right. A kind of a, a um, neoliberal dude. Like, you know. Yeah. And and Harakiri, you know, it's been a while, so I don't remember a lot about that movie, but it was certainly about an individualistic stu- struggle against a a, a hierarchical system. Um, you know, and and more within that film. We saw uh, that the only way to overthrow tyranny is violence um, than than in this one so far, certainly. Um, but but yeah, to, uh, I don't know. I think obviously he's he's giving that interview in seventy two, and what I saw from bonus features is much later, right? As well, right. so you know there is there is an aspect of you know maybe during the war he was more of a socialist yeah i mean uh, people do change who, who got cut up and he changed he he mellowed a little bit or whatever however you want to frame that change uh but i think i think framing kaji as someone as an individual struggling against a society is the wrong framing to make this a powerful anti-war film right um I think I think the people who will call this a powerful anti-war film are people like Kaji and they are people whose opinions on what makes a powerful anti-war film I'm not really interested in to right. be honest. Yeah. Right. Uh so so there's that aspect too. Um you know, I know I know what I want to see in an anti-war film and something like Fires on the Plane. Yeah, no, I know I like know exactly what my ideal right. uh, anti-war <laughs> right. film looks like. And it, we've seen it. We and, we watched and it. And certainly, <laughs> like, certainly, fires on the plane and twenty four eyes are very, very, they are very different. Very and, different and, movies. and if I had to, if you asked, if you you know, gun to my head, told me to choose, would you know, like twenty four <laughs> yeah. eyes is a is 
is the obviously the much more mellower version. I I am right, right, I right. am personally a sentimental person, and it, and do some especially find that sort of sentimentality like very engaging. And I that nothing's going yeah. to change that about my personality. Like it is, it is aimed at a different, a very different group of people, um, and and like it's trying to talk to a very different group of people. A group of people who probably never really would have even considered violent resistance during yeah. the war, and like, yeah, it, it is um, right. It, 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 Fires on on the planet is obviously a much more anti-war film. Like, it is just much more right. engaged with being that thing, right? Actively right. working hard to be that thing as hard as it can. Yeah. And we'll see how this movie deals now that Kaji is actually a soldier. Um, it is my hope that your life has been a series of errors stemming from the conflict between your work and yourself becomes an echo line that he keeps thinking well, about. I'm, I'm sure it will be, but films. I don't know that that will make... I, I, like I said, I'm going to keep a very positive attitude, but I suggest that that will not right. help the film because like, the answer is always going to be like drop your gun and walk away or right or actively shoot or shoot your lieutenant like those are your those are your two right. Right. those are your two options to not make to have your work no Take. longer be in conflict with yourself and i do not right. think he right. will do either of those things yeah yeah which um. is fine like it's fine in the sense that it reflects what a real person might mentally be going through right like right. that's fine but the problem is is that like i said i again this is just this is me not having watched either of the next two movies, but based on what happened in the first movie, somehow he's going to end up being the lieutenant and be, you know what I mean? Like it's that, yeah. like, because that's what the movie wants to be is like, well, he's in a position of power and he has to, it's, it's, it's gotta, gotta, that, that push and pull between society, like what society expects from him, what he wants from himself. And, and that's like, if that's what happens, if that's what happens, I will, you know, but again, I haven't seen it. So, I will withhold right. judgment. Of course. Right. Um mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I am I am also very interested in the scene with Michiko, his wife, where uh the night before with the upcoming executions, he is unable to sleep and decides that he's going to go break them out of prison. And she sort of talks him out of that. Uh, for a bit until he has an emotional background and then says I know that you'll hate me if I stop you and then he still doesn't do it <laughs> um, yeah no I mean so. she she it I actually secretly just want this movie to be about her um <laughs> it might be more interesting it'd be to, a much more interesting movie right because she's yeah. in a in a weird she's in a she is in a legitimately much harder position than he is actually yeah because she is entirely tied to his fate. Right. And like he can't make up his goddamn mind whether or not he wants to like right. be the person she thought he was or not, you know? Uh, but she's also conflicted about him being the person she thought he was because that will significantly worsen her own life. Absolutely. And she, seems... and, and she knows that and like she's kind of made her and decision doesn't, though. Doesn't want that to happen. Right, at least in this scene, right? You know, she stops him. Well, at and first the from fact of the matter is, is that you don't, 
you're doing this without considering the implications it has for my life. Which is, is important, which is real and serious. Essentially what she says, right, which is real and serious, yes. And the thing about it is, is what that's actually trying to address and what a good movie about her would do is the fact that, like, he made that decision when he brought her there. Right. He's right. already made the decision. He gave up his moral ground on this and needs to do yeah. what he... And, and, and the reality of the matter is, as far as her as a character should be concerned, like, obviously, she doesn't want him to be a party to execution any more than he wants to be. But, like, he already... Like I said, he already ceded that ground. Right. Like... He brought her and decided to start this job that he knew would go. He may not know it was going to end in executions, but I bet I bet he read reports about executions and that when he was writing that report of his own. And and neither of them want to face the consequences of that initial decision. Right. Right. And and the difference Uh. is, is that like at this point, he also is in a position power wise over her where like his fate and her fate are directly tied and she has no influence over it. Right. Right. Which at that point, like to a certain yeah, extent she's morally just such you an get also into... ran character in here right. too that I just don't, you know. Well no, I mean I don't necessarily think like her, the character the that of... we see in the yeah. movie is necessarily sort... who I want this movie to be about. I'm saying like that story the is sort really of... interesting. Yeah. The sort of woman who would fall in love with Kaji would be an interesting to explore, yes. I think. Um, but also she also works for the company too, she does. right? Um, so there's that. And then, and then when they get married and move in, she apparently no longer works. Well, period. yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, no. So, yeah. I mean, which is not, I mean, yes. Also, okay, she's not, not going to do clerical but, work out in the middle of nowhere, basically. But like, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah. my, my, my point was that like, you know, hers is interesting because like, Yes, she works for the company, and we can talk about how far or not far we extend sort of apologetics for individual actors in during the war. Right. We've we've watched other movies about people in this situation. Like, as soon as you are an unmarried woman in World War II Japan, things get a little hairy as to exactly how much influence you have over your own path in life. Uh, pretty significantly. Yeah. Well, to an extent where it, maybe it's an interesting thing that she finds a way where she no longer has the moral control of her life, uh, and that that maybe kind of absolves her. That's in true. Her own mind. She may be essentially ceding control to like free herself from whatever moral guilt she has about all of it. Right. And it's like, oh no, right. it's in your hands now, Kaji. I have faith in you. You're gonna, you're <laughs> yeah. you're gonna do right by me, right? right? <laughs> uh, I am I am interested in the ending of part two here. Uh, the ending of the film we watched uh, of uh, Human Condition 1, as far as the Criterion channel lists it. Um, do you think it's meant to be a comedic ending? Oh, they, with, with they, the other lady throwing yeah, stones? Or? Yeah, with Cal's, with Cal's girlfriend uh, running after them as they are so happy to have the 24 hours together that they um, have. Hmm. I mean, I... Uh, I, I I think the rest of the movie does not want gives me no indication that that is meant to be a comedic ending, right? But at the same time, it's such a weird scene that uh, yeah, that the whole it uh, is there is an absurdity in it too, right? Right, but, but I think the absurdity is probably like 
I don't think it's meant it to be comedic. I think it's just supposed to be like. I think it raises it comedic because it's kind of feels silly. Yeah, it does feel silly, but at the same time, it is also uh, the two of them obliviously in love, walking away from her as the consequences of Kaji's uh, facilitating are literally stalking him right, in the final yeah. scene, right? Uh, I mean... And, yeah. So, I, I, so think, I think it's about... I think what we're encountering there is a manifestation of the problems we have with the rest of the film coming even, like, into the forefront, which is, like, yeah. the sorts of sentimental humanism that the movie talked about that we talked about earlier get if you if you and you and i have encountered this in other movies before when you amplify them to a certain degree they become comedic yeah uh and i think that's what this is is like the movie wants us to like kind of have this oh this kind of like internal conflict where it's like well we're happy kaji is back with his wife for yeah. like before he ships out the war, but also he's this like he's guilty of this 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 I other thing. We well we we the audience need to be in conflict now, but it comes off as silly because it's it's that sort of sentimentality amplified too far. I think a a key piece we're skipping in talking about the scene before the execution and in this final scene is when he gets his draft notice. And Machiko's response is, "That's not fair." That's true. You're right, and <sighs> and but that's but yes, you're right because Michiko is Michiko is much more at that point be much more open about what exactly this all was for. Right. Like the fact of the matter is, is that Kaji has been has spent the entire time telling himself that he's here to make their lives better. He's not here to draw, dodge the draft. Right. He's here to make their lives better. And Michiko is sort of been as sort of a almost kind of like a like a I don't know like almost a chorus type figure to like point out the truth of the situation. You're you're here because you want us to have a baby is why you're here. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because, you know, that's why the decision was made. The decision was made so that they could be together. Not, right, right. Not really for anything else. Whatever idealism piled up on top of that right. decision I mean, it was might, made. You know, so it is, well, we can have a baby, but also I think, like, like we get into this thing where, like, it's it's also hard to separate, especially in Kaji, and this is also probably part of the problem with the movie for a lot of people, is it is hard to separate especially in this movie, cowardice versus, like... Pragmatism? I pragmatism, and also, and, and, and also, like, you get into this, like, it gets really... This movie gets real hairy about this, because we... Well, it's also one of the... It's one of the inherent contradictions of capitalism, too, right? You guys, they, they, they choose a comfortable middle life, middle-class life together. Right. Within a certain degree, because they are still moving to the middle of nowhere, right. but uh, they are choosing they are choosing a a life together in employment that will keep them from having to see the worst that life can be. Right. right. Now. Yeah. Right. And and well, it saves them from a certain end. Right. Absolutely. And like where I was kind of going with this is like when you 
when somebody is against the war, there's a very uh, a war, any war. There's a tendency to say, well, they're just afraid. They're just cowards. Yeah, and you know that's also probably you know there's always that thing. Well, yeah, that's also true. Like I also would lo- like to die. That would be cool. Um, right. But you get into this thing where like because Kaji constantly frames himself in a specific light, which is he is he is morally opposed to what is happening. He doesn't ever internally seem to acknowledge that he's also just afraid to die. Um, yeah. and and it's important, like in the movie, and like also like about like having the baby and all that stuff is also part of it, right? It's like all this sort of like things tied up together, but like Kaji doesn't ever acknowledge any of those things beyond that first point. That he is taking his primary concern, but his actual primary concern is avoiding the war, which is presumably a to be able to have a baby, but but probably b a actually probably being not willing to get killed. Like maybe he also doesn't want he you know we we as an audience internally inside of a person you can start to hierarchically level those things out for yourself, right? Like if you are in a position like that you can start to separate them out and say like, well, this is why I'm doing this. And this is, and, and, and you can internally deal with that in a movie. We can't know the internality of the character. So the character has to tell us why they're doing this thing. But in, in this yeah. movie, it comes off primarily, it comes off in the end as the character is sort of lying to us about yeah. his motivations. Well, in that, in that end, it reminds me of straw dogs, which is framed as uh He's framed as a pacifist, right? But in fact, he is just a coward, right? 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 right. And and that's so you know that always gets me too because as as someone who considers him a, himself a pacifist and not a coward, uh, you know, right? I, well, I'd like to think I'm not just deluded, well, but but so what? But what I'm saying, yeah, exactly. Well, so what I'm saying is, is like the answer was you need to go to jail. Yes, like your own. The only viable thing that ever existed in Kaji's universe, if he is not a coward, but he right. is morally opposed to what is happening is, Kaji needs to write a bunch of anti-war rhetoric as part of like one of his reports at work and then get sent to jail. Right. And get sent to jail. That was yeah. Kaji's only option. And the only one that ever right. actually existed that is morally in line with what he says he believes. The fact that he chooses something else implies that like the the real truth is something else. Um, right. But the movie keeps telling us through Kaji that the oh, the reason he's here is because he's morally opposed to what's happening. He's got to try to fix it. And, and that gets, yeah. we, that puts us as the audience in a weird position because it's like, we have our main character lying to us about his motivations. Right. Throughout now, the entire is, movie. There an, there's certainly an argument to be made that him getting sent to jail also means the situation isn't changing. So if he can get into a position of authority within the system and then change the system. Right, but we both know that that's a... Maybe he does have that idea. Obviously, we we, we we all know that that, that's bullshit. That's not a thing that's going to happen, right? But but there could be a mentality that would lead someone to think they could do that. Right, and that's called neoliberalism, and that is like what (laughs) we've accused this movie of being. Right, right. Yeah, and there's no there's no text within the movie that that's what he's trying to do either. We literally see what what his why he is making these decisions, uh, you know, and we're we're pretty blatantly told why he's making these decisions, and it's not that, it is just 
his own his own uh and his wife's uh momentary comfort right uh as opposed to actually inhabiting the ideals he claims to have uh, and and I think you'll find that not to get really really intense about this but I think you'll find that anybody who claims that statement of well the best way is to change it from the inside yeah I've got a feeling there's something a little bit of what we're just talking about going on there in there yeah like yeah. comfort comfort so, and like you know we're all guilty of it like I choose comfort all the actually, time over know, like fix trying you know to what? actively trying to fix things our, re- our repeated use of the word comfort right now reminds me of another problem in this movie. Oh, of a yeah, thing of course he, it does. Of a thing he does not he does not actively push against. A big uh, problem. Even, An enormous even as problem. He shows, even as he shows slight trepidation, uh, but then doesn't actually Right, and do then the reality about. of the matter is is that, honestly, what you're taught with, like, with regards to the comfort women issue in this movie, his slight trepidation because of the way the movie's directed or whatever just comes off as his, him being nervous around women. More than right, anything right. else, as, it doesn't even a, come off with him. Yeah, not, doesn't yeah. come off as like being morally opposed to like the enslavement of, and of women. Course, right, right, and of course, you know that is that is a problem of how comfort women are presented in this film. And there is an argument to be made that this film would not have come out if it didn't present comfort women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we've, we've encountered but, a couple movies that every, try to wrestle yeah. with the issue and get do better than this. Yeah, and Kabayashi had previously been sort of censored. His production company had not let uh, Thick Walled Room come out. They delayed it for three years because they thought the U.S. government would censor it. So they right. just didn't submit it for censorship for three years. Um, so, so, you know, maybe he is mindful of that. But also, the comfort women in this movie are all portrayed as excited to be involved with their work oh yeah no i mean (laughs) they are all like it is we the only we only get one person one who is like hesitant in specifically with regards to the prisoners of war right um they're all well they're all framed in the very very like rote standard methodology used by japanese nationalists primarily right which is oh no they're all they're all willing workers they're all there Which, because they're being listen, paid and like that they want to be is, there and everything's hunky-dory there and when that when that, you know we don't we don't get that one in this yeah. in this particular of movie course. but we when they when that one falls apart on them they go to oh well they were all kidnapped by by evil korean big like uh gigolos who right, sold them right, into slavery right, 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 it's like right, sold them right. into slavery not, to who yeah the people yeah, who bought you know it's yeah it even if of that's the you case, that, you're still a bad you get, guy. Like you still were a bad you get guy. That same, you get that same argument with with uh, uh, American slavery too. Yeah. You know, well, well, they were sold into slavery by by other Africans. But these like, these we, evil people. It's like bottom. Yeah, you, you still bought, bought them. So, like, yeah. and you definitely uh, knew it was happening. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but but while I understand that that is a, a common you know, right wing or far right argument now that that they you know they freely chose to be involved or whatever. That was, that was the boilerplate for many decades. Uh, it was, that yeah. Was, it, by, at yeah. the time that this movie was being made, I mean, here's the thing, right? Is that like, that was the party line, yeah, and still is the party line. The difference is, is that like now we have a great deal of writing from a lot of other perspectives that are not the party line, 
actively disputing that with data. And keep in mind, the party line or not, everybody involved knew what was happening. Like, including the people on the ground there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, it's not like all the soldiers just thought all those women really, really wanted to be there. They just didn't care. Right, right, of course. And, And so, like, to make a movie where, like, we all agree to pretend that that's the case is just such a deeply disingenuous thing to do. Like, if you were somebody in the war and you were aware of what was going, like, you ever visited a place like that or knew of a place like that, you also knew what was going on there, for sure. Yeah. Like, there's no way you didn't. Right. It's uh, it's fucked up. It's, it's, it is... You you are right to say that it is a thing we have overlooked. I overlooked it because I did not want to talk about it because it fucking yeah, I'm sucks. Sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, like, it does. It's it, it, it's because it's a part of the movie that the movie's not get interested in engaging with at all. Right, and it, it's a problem that the movie's not interested. Yo, in absolutely, hundred percent. Like, absolutely. he 100%. is he is the the fucking I don't even know what you call. I guess the pimp yeah. of a entire brothel of slaves, and yeah. the movie's just like ah, oh, it's fine. This is fine. Interesting on on that end. Just before this, uh, one of the movies he made in the years before this, uh, in 1956, he released a film on corruption in professional baseball in Japan. Okay, uh, which was called "I Will Buy You." Uh, so obviously, he's got opinions about that sort of thing, right? Uh, but well, but, but then, also, I yeah. mean, we'll, we will never know this person, not on a personal, yeah. meaningful level, right? Uh, right? 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 Like whether or not he considers Japanese baseball players and young Korean and Chinese women of equal value in society <laughs> right. and worth like having opinions about is a thing we will never know, and I will not accuse I him mean, of one way or the other. Right, but I'm I just hope, saying. I, that, that is I hope thing. one way, considering it seems like one of the main themes of this film is that everybody's human. Uh, right. But, yeah. Totally. I. I mean. I. I. Yeah. The. The way the. The comfort women in this even, movie are treated right. is really abysmal. Is inhuman. Yes. Is, right. Um, yeah. We go. We go out of our way to make the Chinese POWs viewed as human, but Kaji never has that same realization with the women in the film or the women in the the comfort women. Uh, Except to the extent that he feels shame, that right? Cow's and and again, probably maybe because of the acting or whatever, it's really hard to read whether that shame is like purely sexual or if that shame is like no, based I on think what's happening. Not 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 the shame he has the the prudishness shame, but the shame he has about the woman who was in love with Cal. Oh yeah, Cal yeah, that that yes, yeah, you're right. Like that is the closest yeah. you we get to that. You're yeah. right. That that is, and that is that is definitely and, shame. Right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, for sure. Yeah. And and you know that helps his case a little bit. But like the movie, I don't know. It's just one of those things where like it's it comes down to what the movie chooses to focus on. The movie chooses to fundamentally ignore them, except for when they right. are important right. to the right. plot as regards one of the POW who they've already humanized. Right. Right. Like she only becomes human when she interacts. With a character who has already been rendered human, right, right, right. She's not. She's not until then at all. Yeah. Well, 
in any case, I do look forward to seeing where this film goes yeah, as we continue course. through the next two parts over the next couple. Uh, I of mean, weeks. whether or not we like it or not, it is it is a thing to engage with for sure. Like it has a right. lot in it to talk about. Right, it's been fascinating so far. This is, or in total, will be our final Kobayashi film in the Criterion Collection as of right now. Uh, Kobayashi is the least prolific of the four horsemen of the Japanese film apocalypse, uh, as we've talked <laughs> about in the past. Yeah. Uh, the translation of the four horse, the four knights club is yeah. maybe not what they were going for. Right. <laughs> but uh, but I did I did run across the four knights club used somewhere else this this week. I'm talking about Kobayashi. I think in the in the essay for this for this week. Um. So, you know, he is he is the least prolific, but he's still, you know, well-respected. Uh, and he is a great director. And, you know, no, yeah, everything I, else we've seen from him so far has been fantastic. I, I, I think it's just that you, we've, run so, in, we've run aground on his but, politics with regards to a very specific yeah. part of his right. politics, right? It is. Yeah. Um, I guess there's, there's a thing about the way kurosawa makes anti-war films that are still in the abstract enough where we don't necessarily need to engage directly no it's exactly what it is is that like uh yes absolutely like unfortunately this is not abstract abstract enough for us to just sort of like buy into some of those sort of overall premises of it there's there's something about making an anti-war film step post-war that is very different to making an anti-war film that's set during the war certainly right so yeah it's something to to explore and we will explore for the next two weeks as we finish up the human condition next week focusing on part two uh called road to eternity before we get to a soldier's prayer part three in a couple of weeks uh really looking forward to diving into all of this certainly glad that we did not talk about all nine hours and 39 it be, minutes it would be fundamentally in one episode it like would, yeah <laughs> Right. Like we, they, right. yeah, hey, so, wolf. you know, we gotta, I guess we do have to talk about how we're consuming it because we are doing this one at a time in order to take them in parts, even as it is a complete work. So certainly we will have more to say in the third episode than just to talk about the third movie. Right. Right. We'll, yeah. We will have, and, so. and that's going to be true of, of each step along the, on the path, right? We're going right, to end up right, having right. to like engage with each one and then sort of retroactively yes. engage with the pre it's going to get a little weird is what I'm saying. Things are going to get a little yeah, wild yeah. for a while here. Yeah. So, uh, but we won't make you listen to nine hours of us talking about it at least. Uh, I mean, so, we could try. Hopefully <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how the next two episodes right. go. Um, but oh anyway thank you so much for listening to lost criterion i'm as always lead on glass with me as always john patrick otari dorgan and we'll see you next time bye bye
This has been Lost in Criteria. I'm your co-host, Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at TheAdamGlassy. My partner is John Patrick Hoatari Dorgan, and you can find him at JPatrickDorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com slash LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.